0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Simon Gibbs. He's the sports editor for the Vanderbilt Hustler, which is the student paper on campus. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt has swept LSU in baseball in three games. The Commodores now after the weekend 8-1 and one in the Southeastern Conference and sit alone atop the conference standings. The guest line presented to you by our friends at Bowl & Branch. I have talked about Bowl & Branch sheets at length, and for good reason. They are the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on. All I need to do to remember how much I like them is go sleep on another set of sheets that are not Bowl and & Branch, and immediately I realize the difference. They are made of 100% organic cotton that is rain-fed, and you can try for yourself. Go to BowlingBranch.com, enter the promo code Vandy. By the way, that's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. That gets you $50 off your first set of sheets, and you can sleep on them for a while. You'll like them more as you use them. They get softer with every washing. But in any case, give Bowling Branch a try. You'll see what I've been raving about for years, and you'll thank me for that later. All right, we've got a special for you today. Simon Gibbs. The sports editor of the Vanderbilt Hustle, that is the student newspaper, joins us today. I've known Simon, goodness gracious, I think since you first got to campus. Yep. Have really enjoyed getting to know you and working with you in the press box at times back when that was allowed. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for joining the show today, and I'm looking forward to a fun chat.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you guys do a really good job at the paper, by the thank way. You. And I know it has been goodness gracious, an excruciatingly tough year for you for a number of reasons, I guess is a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It has been a weird year to be a student, particularly a weird year to be a senior. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> the newspaper's job is to keep everyone informed on it, on basically all topics Vanderbilt. And it's even more difficult in a year like this where the news, I mean, you know, sports news has been really crazy this year. But if you look around campus, there's been so many different things to cover um, that I feel we've been pushed to our limits um, in in a good way. Uh, and I think we've done pretty well responding, but it's definitely been a weird year though. I think we've all learned a lot uh, working for the paper this year.
0: What has it been like the last 13 months, just as a student? Because I look back to my time in college and I just had so much fun hanging out in dorms and going out to eat with friends and playing pickup ball and just all the silly little things you do as a college student yeah. that are part of your experience. And I, I feel badly for you guys because you only get to do this once, right? And right. And life gets serious as soon as you grab the diploma. And I feel like I look back on that. I feel sorry for a lot of you guys that you got to miss out on a lot of just the really cool stuff about college. What has that been like going through that as a college student?
1: So I'll start with last year, second semester last year, um, my junior year. I was actually studying abroad in Madrid. Um, So that was really my one semester or was supposed to be a one semester long hiatus from the newspaper. Um, I was there for about two months before I got sent home and um, immediately picked back up with newspaper stuff while working from home Um, and then when they announced the return to campus plan for this year, uh, we were taken aback, not necessarily because of, you know, we we expected there to be tons of rules in place. We expected the testing to be rigorous. We expected life to be very different. I don't think anyone could have drawn up the rules that they came up with at the beginning of the year. They were just really absurd. Um, that included, we weren't allowed to eat in restaurants. We had to eat outside. Um, We weren't allowed to gather in groups of I could be messing the numbers here. I think it was like six or ten. And there were all these insane rules that they wanted us to abide by. And do they have ways of ensuring that we were abiding by it? I don't know. But it was beyond strange. And I think the moment where I was like, "Okay, this is no longer just strange. This is not necessarily right is first semester so i live with five friends there are six of us in a house Um, our rooms are pretty spread out in the house Um, and i have one friend who came into contact with someone who tested positive but he found out that they tested positive the day after he saw them so as soon as he found out he started quarantining he put himself in his room he separated himself from us he made absolutely no contact with the rest of the house just completely locked himself in the room he ended up testing positive the next week and he had been in quarantine already for 5 days you know he had absolutely no contact with us before he tested positive meaning he tested positive or he he finally got the virus while he was alone in his room and per vanderbilt's rules if you test positive, anyone who lives under the same roof as you has to be, has to be contact traced, has to be, has to quarantine. So that was right before week one at LSU. I ended up missing the LSU game um, because my roommate, who I had literally not seen in five days because he wouldn't leave his room because he knew he was going to get COVID, lived in the same, under the same roof as me, which to me was like, how does that make sense? And so there are rules that that I understand. There are rules that are justifiable. Others, I just feel, are over the top. If I haven't seen this kid in days because he's been locked in his room, how am I being contact traced here?
0: Yeah, I'm guessing for athletes, there's a couple layers on top of this because they've got to be super careful for every reason. I I think one of the... Oh, I, I don't know the adjective to use here, but I heard a story that you had a group of players towards the end of the year, they were out eating at Panera Bread or somewhere, and they walk in, they look up, and a coach from the team walks in on the football team and starts chewing them out for being there. Being out, like, well, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> right. It,
1: it, it's a weird. It's a weird standard they're setting, and student-athletes are certainly held... To an even crazier standard than us. Um, I know the rules have laxed a little bit from last semester to this semester. And I also know that this is my last semester of college as an undergraduate. So the whole, you know, dining outside, like to a certain extent, it, it's going to be tough to follow. Um, I'm not being reckless. I don't think anyone's being reckless, but I think the school assumes that if we're not following their crazy protocol, we're going to be reckless, which isn't the case. Um, but athletes have been held to a pretty crazy standard all year. And I say that because for the general student body, we just started getting twice a week COVID tests this semester, which is pretty crazy. Last semester was only once a week athletes. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know this for certain. I'm pretty positive. They get tested at least like three times a week. And it's been like that all year. Um, so they've been held to quite a, quite a high standard, and I, I, it's tough. It's tough for me. I can imagine it's even tougher for an athlete who is going through these crazy protocols. And I mean, look at like the NCAA tournament bubble, um, both on the men's and women's side. It's, it's nuts that people are, are going through this right now. Um, in fact, I just read an article on Sports Illustrated that was fascinating for Ross Dellinger. Um, definitely think anyone listening to this pod should go check it out pretty wild story in the men's tournament about how one of the Houston players in the middle of the game needed like anti-inflammatories. He had some sort of injury, he was nursing, but all of the, none of the team trainers had it on hand and the team trainers are not allowed to leave the bubble to go to the pharmacy. So Ross's article interviews the athletic director of Houston, uh, of the Houston athletics program. And the athletic director had to go to the nearest CVS, buy the anti-inflammatories, come back to the stadium, and the AD, because he's not technically in the bubble, is not allowed on the court, right? He's in the stands. So he had to literally throw the bottle of anti-inflammatories from the stands to the court after having left the bubble to buy it because he was the only one that could leave the bubble to
0: buy it. It was just a bizarre story. How was his aim? Uh, apparently, pretty good. <laughs> uh, so so you guys still can't or are, are not supposed to be eating out. Is, so, uh, to be honest,
1: I don't know. I don't know if that rule is still in place. The rule in the beginning of the year was you can eat outside, you can't eat indoors uh, at a restaurant. I think that's changed. Um, the gathering rules of like no more than ten people has probably not changed or if it has changed it hasn't changed much but remember i live in a house with five other kids There's six total people so once we add more than four people to our group we're meant to not be able to hang out i i'm not sure
0: i understand some of them so have you put a, a up a uh, turnstile in your room yet to keep track of how many you're coming and going
1: yeah and we have a we have a giant thermometer out front so you can't <laughs> walk in until you test pu- test
0: uh, oh, the temperature i, I... We we laugh. What else are you going to do at this point? But look, I don't want to ask you to betray confidences or anything. But you are a student. You know a lot of players. How tough has this been on them? And and any stories you want to share without you know breaching a confidence, I would be interested to hear just to illustrate what this has been like for them.
1: Yeah. So. I've spoken with a few student athletes about it um, off record not to be like reported on and just talking as friends. Um, and one particular story stood out to me um, from a player who I'm not going to name, um, doesn't play a spring sport. Um, and he basically told me this season made him hate the sport that he plays. And he told me that it was pretty insane right because these guys play this these sports their whole lives it brought them to college and in most cases it's paying for their college it's gotten them so far in life and he just said i don't have like the motor to do this anymore i'm not interested in it because this year was so grueling um because obviously the life of a d1 athlete is not an easy one to begin with um but basically he told me the the protocols they were kept in all year made it so that they basically couldn't have a life outside of their sport. Not like, you know, the normal D1 athlete is is having a crazy social life to begin with, but they have the freedom to do things that that take their mind off of school, take their mind off of basketball, baseball, football, soccer, whatever it is. They just can't do those things. You know, the Panera example you gave was a good one because – going out for lunch or dinner with your friends, even even if it's the night before a game, can really ease your mind, take your mind off things. You can't be really seen out if you're an athlete, which is insane. Um, And so he basically said, like, it's gotten to the point where the sport I play is not one that I really love anymore because it's taken away so many other things from me due to this pandemic. Um, I just hope that by the time, and I know Vanderbilt is planning for in-person classes uh, next fall, which is great. Um, and I do think, you know, the way things are trending, it won't be, there won't be many problems, if, if any. Um, I do hope that these athletes are not kept in crazy protocols next season. And really I hope that, you know, cause I wouldn't be surprised if some of these things are some of these precautionary measures like contact tracing, whatever it is, are, 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 sort of carried over. I just hope for the athlete's sake, it doesn't impact their lives the way it did this year, because that, that's not an easy life to live.
0: Well, and, and look, this isn't just a Vanderbilt thing. I think that things have been tough on athletes yeah. everywhere, students right. everywhere. I mean, you look at the transfer portal and my goodness, what does that say right now?
1: Well, the transfer portal to me is, a whole different story. The transfer portal is so bloated. It's unbelievable how many people are transferring. The thing that I sort of really have trouble picking aside. So I'll start by saying the one-time transfer rule where where you could transfer one time and not have to redshirt, not have to sit out. I think that's a must. I think that frees up a lot of student athletes. And I think it's so common in so many sports, particularly basketball, where you might get a lot of unkept promises on the recruiting trail. You're going to get this many minutes and you end up being a bench warmer all season. Or, you know, you go into this one school and the coach who recruited you gets fired, whatever it is. At the same time, I think this rule and this, this this COVID year, especially where where everyone can can do the one time transfer. You know, I advocate for that rule moving forward past the COVID year. But especially this year, I think it also means some people have trouble with with patients. And, and, and I'm not, you know, a D1 athlete. I can't imagine how frustrating it is to go into a program and not play as a freshman. But if you look at the best programs in the country in any sport, you're not starting freshmen at every position. So I I worry that this leads to a transfer portal that is as bloated, if not more bloated every year from now, because kids are just going to get impatient. So I really hope it's a COVID thing. And I also think that, you know, everyone being granted that extra year of eligibility is partially what makes it so crazy. Um, But, you know, seeing guys like Max Evans and Cleavon Brown, who you know i'm not sure if we get to men's basketball today them transferring i am not sure or i'm not going to speak as much about what that means for vanderbilt but it's sort of i do think a small portion of the portal are these guys who maybe weren't planning to stay an extra year realize the opportunity could be there and you know say they wanted to play international ball if they could go to a mid-major and really really play well at a mid-major That helps them get that international contract. So I think some of the guys in the portal are, 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 you know, taking advantage of that extra year. But I do worry about this, you know, impatience that could come from you being able to just transfer for no penalty whatsoever.
0: This season of the podcast presented by my good friend, Jody Jones, a former Commodore player. He is a dentist in Nashville who's trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile He provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic services at his practice in Nashville, Tennessee. He's earned the right of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile. Go visit Dr. Jones in his spy-like atmosphere. He has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities, and is dedicated to providing first-rate services to all his patients. He never compromises quality, so patients can be confident they get a high level of care. Thanks to Jody Jones Dentistry for making this season of the podcast possible. Well, you look at the numbers in the portal, and like it seems like every team's That's got insane. three or four guys. So you can't like, just... yeah. Well, yeah, you can't just say anymore, oh, well this program's got a problem because everybody's leaving because it seems like everybody's leaving everywhere. Like you look at and then you have some situations like UT Martin where the coach dies before the season and I think the kids are probably close to the coach and you, you probably just want a fresh start. Yeah. For for a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, and, and then you look at I think there's another element like have you followed what's going on at Cincinnati?
1: I followed it loosely.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're losing everybody, and they suspended John Brandon over the weekend, yeah. and I'm guessing he doesn't yeah. survive that. I think – I do wonder if there is, like, a little bit of a healthy element to this, um, because I, I do think – like, I think it's bloated, and sometimes the complaint that you hear from coaches is that players don't want to wait it out anymore. But I do wonder if this is a little bit of a – maybe sort of a cure where a, a coach is, is going – full on old school and, and being verbally abusive and all kinds of stuff. I mean things that people just laughed about twenty years ago. We're in a different day and age. Uh and, and I think frankly a lot of that's good. I'm I'm not a I'm not a big fan of verbal abuse and some stuff that you, know, you lot of hear a lot of coaches say, you know, we're just toughening the kids up. I I think there yeah. can be a fine line between that. But I do think it's interesting in, in some spots, I do wonder if this maybe changes the way that Coaches approach their jobs and maybe who's hired and who does not, after the dust settles on all this?
1: Yeah, I think it will change a lot, and also, speaking of you know the way these transfers may change the game is I think, from a coaching perspective, the easiest way to build a winning program, the fastest way, I should say, maybe not the easiest, the fastest way, is going mining in the transfer portal. You get veterans, you get tenured players with a track record of success and and playing time against Power 5 schools, you just got to find the right ones. You can't be taking the guys who are transferring because of either impatience or not getting along with their own coaching staff. You need to take the guys who are just looking for that next opportunity. If you could identify the right person, you know, the right type of player, I, I really think you skip two or three years of development that you would have to go through otherwise recruiting solely freshmen. I mean, that's how Muscle Man got his job, right? He he used to do that every year and it's how he built a good program. Um, So yeah, I think it's gonna change the sport, but it'll be very interesting to see also back to this portal talk, how many of these kids are going to end up at a D1 school? Because there aren't that many scholarships right now, right? There aren't 800 plus scholarships to be given out. So, how many of these guys and what do they end up doing for those that don't get it? You know, I assume you can't really just go back to your, your old school after saying, Hey, I'm leaving. Uh, you can't say, I want to come back and I have my scholarship back. So, I'd be very curious to see how this plays out a couple months down the line.
0: Well, I think I know the SEC pretty well. Like, I think if you gave me an hour, I could probably make a list of, of 100 plus players in this league. Um, yeah. If you gave me some and I'm looking at some of these kids hitting the portal, I'm going, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> They're coming out of the league. But I, I do think the way that you put it is interesting. Now, one other take on it is you're just getting somebody else's problem. Um, and, and I don't know how you know until right. you're a coach what you've got. Like, Musselman seems to have figured it out to where the kids, he got like Jay Jalen Tate and guys like that just fit in and you know, wind them up and let them go. And it, it's better than anybody else's except for Alabama in the league. But that's going to be interesting to me is to see – how this hall settles in, but um, hey, we've gone 19 minutes and we've not mm-hmm. talked baseball yet, which was not the plan. Uh, But sometimes I think with a, a podcast, you just go where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious. um, And I had actually said, I thought Vanderbilt would lose the series this weekend to LSU. I, I thought that Landon Marceau had only given up what one run all year. He's got that breaking ball. That's been really good. um, You know, Game threes have been tricky for them. I could see a path to where something goes a little bit wrong, you're on the road, a, a team that's under a lot of pressure to get better, a team that's, a, what, a preseason top-ten team. Just thinking yeah. this is one of these weekends like you see happen sometimes where just in, – in baseball, everything comes back to the middle. and I thought that it's hard to see this team continuing to play at the level that it has. doesn't mean it's not a great team. It's just this is hard to sustain. And LSU, a, a team that I figured was – was poised for a rebound. Well, you know, what happens? Vanderbilt just boat races him the first two days and then wins a game three. Uh, Man, I I just come out of every weekend almost more impressed with this team than I was going in.
1: Yeah, I'm also impressed that one ranking has Arkansas first after this weekend. I I forget which website exactly.
0: Baseball America, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I cannot wrap my head around that, especially the way this team has been playing because they just haven't slowed down. You know, the beginning of the season – especially with the way the few, first few non-conference games went, because they weren't always blowing out their opponents. They sometimes were. I thought that the hitting was going to be a disaster. I was like, this is going to be bad once they day. Because the SEC is some of the best pitching in the country, and they're struggling to put up numbers at the plate against, you know, some of the non-conference opponents. It's gotten to the point now where, and this is crazy to think about in, in a sport like baseball where, you know, the reason why baseball was my first love and what makes the sport so interesting is is on any given night any team has a chance to beat the other it's not like basketball it's not like football where you know when Vanderbilt plays Alabama in football do you expect Vanderbilt to win one out of 10 of those ball games no at least i don't and so in baseball it's like even the best teams are going to drop games but it's gotten to the point where i don't expect Vanderbilt to lose any of the, either of the first two games of a weekend series And you get to that third day, it's a question of whether or not they could find their third starter, whether or not they could find the offense needed to pull off the sweep. It's every weekend at this point. And to me, some of the pieces that towards the beginning of the season, I was maybe skeptical, not sure if it was perfect, have all ironed themselves out. I mean, first and foremost, um, one thing I'll say is that when Cooper Davis got hurt and uh, they put Boulder in for him. I thought that he was in the beginning of the season unimpressive. I was like this is this is how shallow Vanderbilt's lineup is. And look what he did this past weekend. He made me bite those words, right? There is a lot of depth on the on both the offensive and on the pitching side for this team. I don't know what their weaknesses at this point necessarily um it'd be very interesting to see down the stretch as they play some of the top SEC opponents. Um what happens when it gets into maybe a pitcher's duel or they need an extra few runs late in the game?
0: Yeah, you hit a few things I want to circle back to, but I looked this up this weekend. Uh, my buddy Barry Allen tipped me off on this. I didn't realize they, they'd won 14 straight road games in the SEC. It's heading, heading into Sunday they, or Saturday, they win that one. I went back and looked it up. If you include tournament play, they've won 20 games in a row against SEC teams away from Hawkins field. I mean that that's insane. You you could yeah. play I don't you put just drop them in another league. Drop them in the worst league in college baseball. The, the odds are you're going to lose a couple of those just because it's baseball. Right. I mean, this is this is this is crazy. And I'd, i say it's unsustainable of course it is. Nobody wins at 100% level, but you start looking at the metrics, I think they're leading the country in fewest runs given up per game. They're leading the country in scoring margin by I think a pretty good chunk. Yeah. Um and, and 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 oh by the way, uh Cooper Davis has not been himself. Uh yeah. they missed their best hitter, who I think is Dom Keegan for 2 weeks. Yeah. Uh Colwick was really hitting his stride when he got hurt. And I yeah. think they've taken a step down offensively and defensively at seconds. Um, you know, Spencer Jones has not been himself. Started to hit a little bit. Bulger. Now I I will just on Bulger. I always felt I was watching that kid's at bats, and I thought this guy's due to break out. In fact, I tweeted about it. Um, and and this was just dumb luck, right? I mean, I I tweet that I I like the way he looks, (laughs) and 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 then he hits a home run, of course. And then (laughs) I look like, but I mean, I'm also the guy that picked Vandy to lose the series. So what do I know? But (laughs) so all, all that to say, you put the pieces back together. On this team, at the end of the year, you got them all. Let's say you get a healthy take, Colwick back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Cooper Davis is going to hit better than he has. I think it's he went through a tough thing. And, oh, by the way, you got the, the Game 3 deal with starting pitching where yeah. I have a feeling we're going to see Ethan Smith in that spot at some point um, mm-hmm. unless the other guys right themselves. I mean, usually these are the kind of things. Like, I look at the, what was it, the 18 team. And I think you were here that year, weren't you? I was. Yeah, and that's where – and people didn't talk about this at the time because he hadn't become J.J. Bledet yet. But if you look at the metrics and things, Bledet was a, a really good hitter from when he got here. Yeah. And it, and it had a great start. I, I think people look at, at home runs and RBIs, and he wasn't a huge guy there. But if you looked at on-base percentage and stuff, you could tell J.J. Bledet was kind of hitting elite status. And then he gets hurt and he misses six weeks, right? And, yeah. and that was one of those years where they didn't have the depth to back him up to where when he went out, and you lose a day and you're always going to hurt because he he was an elite hitter. This year they've got that backdrop of other guys, and I look at them and I just go, man, when they get to Omaha, if they get there, if they get all these guys healthy, what you're going to have is if somebody gets hurt or whatever, or you got a particularly tough matchup with a lefty or something – you're going to yeah. have so many parts if you're Tim Corbin. With with Rocker and lighter on the weekends, they, they almost look impossible to beat.
1: Yeah, I agree. And one thing that really concerns me is we have yet to see sort of a, for lack of a better term, disastrous COVID outbreak, right? Where everyone gets contact traced and many people are out. I don't know if their protocols are different. Like, I don't know if... Maybe, you know, in baseball, because they're not hitting bodies all day like football or basketball, maybe they won't be contact traced if one guy goes down with it. I am a little concerned, not just for Vandy, but for any team in the country, what that looks like when, because they, they have had COVID positives um, uh, already this season, but they've yet to have, you know, huge team outbreaks. I I hope that this team, I hope really the whole conference can avoid those because I don't want to see baseball get canceled for that reason. What I'll say especially, you know, as you said, down the stretch, you could have so many pieces. One thing that I've still been holding out hope on is you'll remember the the 2019 season when they won the national championship. Um, The first, so at the beginning of the season, Kumar comes in, and I remember making probably the worst comment I've ever made um, on our podcast that year. Uh, Kumar played, uh, started against TCU, you know, let up five runs in in less than two innings, um, did not pitch well. And I went on that show and I was like, too young, doesn't need to force it, bench him. Worst thing I've ever said. Um, But Kumar struggled a little bit in the beginning of that freshman year. Um, He had a couple rough starts in SEC play and he had that one really bad one against Tennessee. And it took a while for him to really catch his stride. Now I say this because, I really feel like a couple weeks, maybe a month down the line, what if Christian Little turns out to be the the heir to Kumar and Leiter? Because then you're working with just a bloated pitching staff, and I mean that in the best way possible, where you could basically be putting in, you know, down the stretch, if you need a guy to to pitch in the 6th or the 7th, you could be putting in a guy who would be an ace on many other college baseball programs in the country, and I don't mean as a bullpen pitcher. Like, he would be the ace starting pitcher at these other uh, programs. You put him in to pitch a seventh inning or an eighth inning, I mean, it's just tough to see how this team falls other than by their own mistakes or injuries.
0: And here's what's crazy, too. I don't think Kumar Rocker has been full-on Kumar Rocker yet. No. I mean, he's been really good, but right. we've seen that next level and we've not really seen that for the most part yet. Correct. Um, I think
1: it'll certainly get better as the year goes on. I, another thing that I love about Kumar and lighter being at the front of this rotation, you know, I have to imagine that these two guys are competitive. When one guy goes out and does his thing, you want to beat him as the next guy. And and if you're the opponent, you never want these two guys competing against one another because once they start trying to one-up each other, you get stuck in some trouble. So it'll be very interesting down the road to see if Kumar can can maybe one-up Leiter because um, I think, obviously, Leiter has, has been the, the guy so far. But I think by the end of the season, Kumar will have last say there.
0: Well, and your point on Little— most of the time now they've gotten spoiled because they will have some freshman arms who come in and are, are pretty great right away. You know, you saw it with Fulmer and, and some guys like that were a little bit before your time. You saw it with Lighter last year. Yeah, little to me, there's just something that's off there. He's catching too much plate or the fastball straight or there's something because he gets hit pretty hard at times. But yeah. you see a ton of freshmen who flip that switch. From freshman to sophomore year. Right. Yeah, and, and I don't know that he's going to be Christian Little the way we thought he would be this year, but I think that's for next year. You know, people are going to look at them, they're going to say Lighter and Rocker are gone, and they're going to drop off, and they're going to be right. But I think you, you get him back. I, I think Thomas Schultz has got another gear to him. That maybe we won't see this year. Maybe a little more velo. Maybe another pitch. I mean, he's really good in the strike zone, right? It, the strikeout to walks I look at. I put a lot of stock in that. But he's also getting hit. There's something with him the second time around that's not working. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to circle back to Ethan Smith because we've not seen Ethan really stretched out yet. And yeah. I know he's got hit and gotten hit hard at times and gave up that home run to, to blow the save against Georgia State. But let's also give this kid credit. He's not getting stretched out for long stints. I think we all looked at it and said, he's their three, right? Well, they thought, well, let's move him to the bullpen. Um, you know, And then it becomes different, right? You're going max effort for fewer pitches. You're not getting maybe stretched out as much in practices. So I want to see, are they able to fill him in as the third spot? But you, you said you talked about lack of holes on this team. And I mostly agree But, obviously, other than the third starter one, the one that I worry about just a little bit is Luke Murphy. He's been dominant, right? Yeah. But he's also missed some spots on pitches. He got a little bit wild the other day. He got out of that game because of an infield pop-up to end it. But that game, you know, one little break the the wrong way, and that game three could have gone the other way. I guess if I have one concern, it's – do they have that guy on the back end that's going to be flawless at the end on the big stage when they need, and look, it might not matter, right? They, they yeah. may, they may make it to game two in Omaha, um, you know, with an eight to one lead on somebody, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, But that is, if, if you're saying like, what is it that you're looking for other than what you said, I think the, the mass COVID outbreak thing—I mean, that—that that could happen for anybody. But that's kind of yeah. the one thing. That, look, he's been electric at times, and when it's worked, it's really worked. But you saw him get away with a pitch or two, uh, maybe against South Carolina uh, last weekend. Didn't didn't really matter. I guess he did come at the end of the game. I didn't see that. But I—I I just that LSU game got a little white knuckling towards the end of it, and that, that's the one thing that I—I I guess if you're saying—is there something that you're watching that could be a concern? that's kind of where I look
1: yeah and the other thing I'm looking for is you know they've played plenty of talented SEC teams they got to take down the best of them before we could really say this is the number one team in the country this is the best team in the SEC because I'm not saying South Carolina isn't talented I am saying Missouri is not that talented I, I will be fine with saying that LSU pretty talented but like It's got to be the Mississippi States. It's got to be the Florida's. It's got to be, I mean, Ole Miss is going to be a tough team to handle, as is Arkansas. I mean, this team is far from finished. They still have some stuff to prove. And, you know, can they get that help down the stretch with whether it be the third starter and out of the bullpen against those other SEC schools? And another thing that I'm really interested to see is – and i said this on our hustler podcast last week there's going to be a series at some point this year i would expect where they split games between lighter and rocker they win one they lose one they need to be put in the spot on that game 3 cuz you know the whole playoffs are three game series who's going to start who's going to bring in the offense how are you gonna take an inexperienced team and overcome, you know, splitting the first two and winning that third game? Because what made the team so different in 2019 is any time they were losing, whether in a series or in a game, it was far from over. The SEC championship game that was incredible. The series where both against Duke and you know Michigan, where they lose the first and they come back in rapid fashion. We don't know that this team is going to be able to pull themselves back up after after taking a blow like that. And I'm not saying, you know, venerable fans should root for them to lose a game where Rocker or Lighter starts. I'm just saying the way they handle that third game, especially against some of the tougher opponents uh, in the conference and really in the country, is going to be pretty telling of their future because these three-game series are going to be, you know, those game threes are going to be the most important, the rubber match. And I don't know... Who's going to be the guy to step up in those games just yet?
0: Yeah, and I think you were there for the Duke game, too, in 2019. Yeah. And and I think that, look, that team just had rolled through everybody, right? Yeah. And then they get smacked on Friday night. What was it, 18-6? to six, Like, nobody had done to them all year. Yeah, it was – I had never seen th- – Yeah, and we're all going, we believe in this team's talent, but, like, this team has not been pushed all year. How's it going to respond? And, and frankly – uh, and a lot of it was Bryce Jarvis, too, who was a first-run pick the next year. But, I mean, that that game was, was way too interesting most of the day. Yeah. Um, and they end up winning because Kumar Rocker has a performance for the ages that we've talked about and talked about. But I'll give you an example. Um, 2007, that team's number one all year. They lose a road series to Arkansas, two games to one. Uh, and they roll through the conference, and, and they had clinched the thing, I think, by game one of the last weekend, mm-hmm. win the conference tournament after facing a little bit of adversity. But I'm in the park. You know, P plays him close. That goes to 12 or 13 innings. It's Price against Sean Kelly. They win that one in, in extra innings, but then Michigan beats them the next day, yeah. uh, which nobody expected. And that team had not been through it, right? And I think that you could feel – the weight of expectations bearing down on them all year. Now, I think this team's different. I think the coaching staff's different. They've been they've been through success. They've handled it. They know how to handle adversity. And yeah. I think that seeing the way they did it in 2019 makes me feel better about their chances. But you've always got that. I mean, everybody in the ballpark. Um, I mean, Ryan Flaherty got picked off third against Michigan um, in the championship game in the old fake the first, throw to third move that yeah. nobody falls for. And, and you're watching that, and you're going, okay, you you can physically see it in them. Um, each team's different. That lineup, I guess the difference, Simon, that lineup in 2019, those guys have been there three or four years. This lineup, they're kind of going through that. They're yeah. going to be going through that postseason thing for the first time. And if you're looking for where there's a difference, I, I think that might be it. So,
1: yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm also excited as, a, as an aside, down the road, I hope, and I hope slash I think they will open up attendance a little bit at Hawkins Field. And I say that not just because things are getting better, but I say that also because I think the main concern with athletics attendance in general has been these stadiums are in the middle of campus. How are we going to make it so that they don't get kids sick? Random people, the, that's how the school sees it at least. Um, and worth noting that we, our school year ends like well before the season even gets into the heart of things. Um, so I think, you know, early May, it'll be pretty open. I'm excited to see them play in front of a huge crowd, host some big SEC schools, though a lot of their big series are away this year. Um, and I think that, that I do think though, that big crowd come June um, in playoffs, in regionals, super regionals, should be a huge help for this team. But I think there's a lot left to prove, um, and I think being ranked number one all year, like you said, lofty expectations that are always tough to live up to. Um, and that 2019 team that won it all, you know, they were living in who was it UCLA's shadow all year, and I think. Yeah. Most fans and the players and the coaches were like, we're definitely the better team than UCLA. But being that number one spot, being that team that everyone wants to take down is is really difficult, really, really difficult come playoffs.
0: Well, they've got a gauntlet to run here shortly, and it goes oh, yeah. like this. Georgia here this weekend, which I think they win, uh, but Georgia has pitched them pretty well at times, so that's not a mm-hmm. given – Right At Tennessee, which, let me tell you, I think the the anticipation for that series, I got a text from someone in the Knoxville media this week and saying, I think the tickets on StubHub for the LSU series um, at different nights were going for $200 a pop, which is crazy, wow. in Knoxville. Then they have Mississippi State here, uh, the team that loves to hate them. Yeah. Uh, then they go to Gainesville, which – uh, I, I have seen that series too many times. Uh, if, if there's a team that's capable of getting in their head with the chirping Florida. and stuff, yeah. it's Florida, uh, Alabama. Um, that's one they should handle, but I'm anxious to see if Alabama gets Connor prelet back. Cause he's that ACE type that can go pitch for pitch with, I mean, according to the scouts, I, I don't know that we've seen it enough. Um, yeah. You know, but but potentially if it works out. And then they go to Ole Miss, which that one is going to be uh, – Our tickets are already like 300 bucks on StubHub for that series?
1: I'm so annoyed that that series is away. Also, oh, yeah. That in between Florida and Bama, there is Louisville. It's only one game. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's still a big opponent in there, too. And it, that's an away game this year. Um, so that's quite the ending to the season they've got going.
0: Well, look, if they get through – this gauntlet ahead in the SEC tournament. I have to feel like, and no disrespect to the leagues, I have to feel like if they get to the NCAA tournament, uh, they're going to feel like they've been running with ankle weights and they got lifted um, in regionals and super regionals. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think uh,
1: that'll probably, is my guess, end up being the case. You know, some of these series... At this point, because I, I didn't think they were going to sweep LSU, I thought they were going to win the series. I know you said that you thought this could be one that they drop. Seeing the way it's gone so far, uh, I have trouble thinking that you know this is going to be a gauntlet. They're not going to win every game. I, I I don't I just don't know how many they're capable of losing. Um, if they could handle that, get through you know the super regional or get through the tournament and to the super regionals, like you said, I, I think it's going to be a near impossible team to take down, but only time will tell. One one, thir- one thing we haven't really touched on, though, and this probably goes back to our personnel conversation earlier, you know, I don't follow as much the baseball recruiting. I see guys that come in, or I should say I follow the recruiting. I don't know much about the personnel coming in. I'll read about them. I'll watch some, some highlights, some film, but I'm not going to look at one guy And pretend I have the slightest idea what Corbin is going to do with them, how they're going to work into the lineup, whatever it might be. I just let him do it, and I spectate. Enrique Bradfield Jr. has been so much better than I could have, A, expected from him, and B, expected from really any freshman to have that sort of, A, ability to get on base— And B, you know, once he gets on first, it's like C, on third. And even when he doesn't get to third, I think of that one game against South Carolina, the first game where he got picked up or where he got caught stealing after, what, 13 or 14 stolen bases with ease. What stood out to me is that he, did he get caught? Yes. But before getting caught, that South Carolina pitcher tried to pick him off three or four times in one at-bat. You get into his head like that, that is, I mean, the stolen bases are super helpful. The ability to get on base is super helpful. Even if he's getting thrown out, he was in that pitcher's head and down the road in the playoffs when they're playing at home in front of a home crowd. You get in the pitcher's head like that and, you know, there's a lot that can happen. So I think Enrique Bradfield is going to be one of the most valuable tools on this team, not just down the stretch this season, but, but the next few years,
0: right? He's far from finished here. Oh, I think the, Maybe the two biggest surprises this year are, I mean, I think that we knew that Bradfield had the speed to get on base and and do stuff. And, like, if, if you said there's a game they win because he steals four bases and stretches two doubles into triples and makes a guy make an error because of the speed. Like, we all said, okay, we can see that. What I didn't know is that he could... First of all, he's really mature at the plate. Doesn't swing a lot of bad pitches. He can punch the ball the other way sometimes. He can pull it a little bit with, you know, he can hit a line drive to right field. Now, I don't think anybody's going to confuse him uh, with Jason Gonzalez for raw power or anything, but he's shown more than I thought he had. And I think the craziest thing is we're sitting here, we're literally half the way through the regular season. That kid's got a 509 on-base percentage. I mean, I have issues with SEC voting for all conference teams because I think they're still in that old-school mentality where they look at home runs and RBIs. I have a feeling we might get to the end of the year. This kid's been a first-team all-SEC player who who doesn't get it. But, I mean, it it really doesn't matter because – when you have a five on nine on base percentage, that's the most important stat in baseball is on base percentage for hitters. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that the defense has been other than that one little hookup against LSU, which didn't really cost them with the ball hits off the side of his glove on a routine fly ball. I, I mean, it is, it is really hard for freshmen to deliver the way that he's delivering right now.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um And not on the topic of baseball, but I just saw an article in the News Observer. A This is now a reputable source reporting North Carolina interviews several basketball coach candidates all within the Carolina family. Steve Robinson, Hubert Davis, Jerry Stackhouse, um, King, uh, King Rice, Wes Miller. Those are the people who have been confirmed interviewed now.
0: I think they're making a big mistake. If they just stay inside the him. family because uh, you, you I, can well, get that, anybody. I think Mark Few would listen to them. This
1: is, I agree. I think so would Drew. Um, this is what I said on our podcast last week. Anyone with a basketball acumen, especially an alum, I don't doubt that they'll have success there. Like if Stackhouse went there, I don't doubt that he'll be successful there because they'll fill out a staff with people that'll recruit. He's an alum. And anyone that could show some sort of competency between the whistles could have some sort of success there. But this is what I said last week. You have a top two job in the country here, and it might not even be two, right? It might be one for all we know. It is definitely up there in my opinion. There's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be hiring a, one of the proven best head coaches in the country. That's all. You have the money. You have the power. You have the reputation. There's absolutely no reason. I don't get it.
0: Anytime you rope off a job is we want this and we're looking for that, and, and it's outside the parameters of who's going to win us the most games, you're making a terrible mistake. And, and I think we saw it with the women's basketball hire at Vandy.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, I want to say that this whole – because when they first talked about it being in the family, you look at who's been in their family recently. I mean, you don't normally have two back-to-back Hall of Fame head coaches, right? the the that that lineage has has sort of come to an end here, where they could either hire someone in the family who's less proven or uh, hire someone who's proven. I just don't see why you why you. I, I can't justify it for the life of me, and especially because, like you said, a guy like Few, a guy like Drew, really any coach in the country who's one and one at big schools, they wouldn't turn this down. That that would be insane. Uh, sorry to interrupt the baseball talk with this. I just first no. – Real report that he interviewed with the team.
0: Yeah, I I think we watched that all week, and I I haven't taken it that seriously because I just can't see Carolina yeah. hiring. And look, Jerry's done some things. Everybody thinks I hate Jerry Stackhouse. I don't hate Jerry Stackhouse. I, I think you and I we've talked off the record to ourselves and had conversations. I think you and I basically share the same opinion on him. I, I think there's a lot to to like there with the coaching and the tactical things we've seen him do. I, I think that. What I've been impressed with is at the end of the year, when his team had nothing to play for, they were still playing hard for him. And and you can hate Jerry Stackhouse and not like him as a hire, uh, and and you have to acknowledge that or you're not being fair, right? right. Um, so I think there's things we've both seen, but I think you and I kind of see this alike. I just think that, you know, and look, they haven't landed a transfer yet, um, and, and that may change any day. But I think the ability to bring in and, and keep a consistent roster – um, is the thing that where you and I are both really skeptical on that, that he won't have the players long term. Now, maybe at Carolina that's different than it is at Vandy, but I think that's, I think you and I probably see that hire a lot alike or, or his record. I think that's the one place where you just keep looking at it going, is he ever going to get enough players here consistently to win?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. And the other problem with, you know, right now at Vandy, I've seen, Stackhouse taking this job as a sort of way to leapfrog to the next job and obviously given his record it's tough to do that. The problem is it's hard for him to parlay or sustain much success if it feels like you know from from a reporter's perspective from a fan's perspective it feels like he's using this as a rental job you know it's just temporary. It's tough to have sustainable success off that. I will say if he leaves, you know, some people might be like, hooray, he's gone. I certainly wouldn't say that. That would be, let me just, for anyone that thinks him leaving right now in this season is a good thing, whether or not you like him, just realize that if Stackhouse goes, Pippen goes, Disu goes. They're not going to get a single transfer, right? By the time they get a new head coach, that portal is going to be empty. All these recruits are going to be taken. And the ones that are currently committed, if they wanted to get out of their NLI, when the coach leaves, you can get out of your NLI. Just think about the impact here. And you might not even get a good head coach because, you know, there are many other bigger jobs that are going to be open or are open this offseason. season. So just think about the impact of him leaving right now, whether or not you like him. And I think he's shown plenty um, of the reasons for, for fans to maybe say he has certainly not been given enough time to be evaluated, right? Because he hasn't even had his own players in yet. Him leaving this year, this offseason, would be disastrous for this program.
0: You got blocked on Twitter too, didn't you? No, I did not. No, you not did yet. not. Not, not, not yet. Idiot. Well, the, this, the day's not done. But um, <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think Jerry, I I don't think he's an idiot. I, I don't think he doesn't know how to coach. I just think he doesn't know how to get out of his own way.
1: You know, I think, uh, I think some of the comments he's made in some post-game press conferences have been tough. I think the one that was really, to me, the tough one is the StuDY thing. A lot of people talk about his comments politically, what that means, how that's disrespectful, whatever it is. I'm not going to go and talk about my political views here, but what I'm going to say is that regardless of whether you agree with what he said or whether you disagree what he said, with what he said, if he were successful, if he was If he had built a team that almost won the SEC Championship this year, not a single person would care about what those comments were. And I think that's telling, right? A lot of people cared, a lot of people were angry. If he was winning, it wouldn't be the same. And is that fair? Probably not. I guess it's just the way the business is. Um, But it's just worth considering, you know, if it's not something that you would be losing your mind over if they're winning. I don't know if it's something worth losing your mind off of now but like like I said though the Studi thing I understand he had an excuse or the, a few days later was like you know and right, he's right he was like you know you guys don't understand what happens behind closed door closed doors Miles and I are fine I wasn't throwing him under the bus all this stuff I still didn't like the comments not for me to. not for him to care about what I think but I think those were the concerning comments and the political things whether you like it or not you just have to realize that if he were winning, you wouldn't care. So, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't care because he's losing. It's just sort of a tough, you know, paradigm there.
0: Well, when you're in his spot, you can't conduct yourself and in, in your life as if you're something other than six and whatever against the SEC. You you've got to yeah. you've got to and and look, frankly, yeah. nobody was going to do really really well in that position. But you've got to understand that going in.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there.
0: Uh, back to baseball for a minute. One yeah. other thing I want to touch on, then we're going to hit the mailbag, and then I'll get you out of here. I, the other thing that really surprises me was Carter Young. If you had said Carter Young has seven home runs by the end of this season, I would have said you're crazy. Not, not to mention, what, 27 games in. That was one thing that I did not even remotely see coming.
1: Neither did I, honestly. And the other thing about Young is that middle infield when it's healthy is, I mean, that is like, aside from the hitting, because the hitting has been there, that is like some of, that is a well-oiled machine. There are just some incredible plays made out of there. Both quick fielding decisions, great play. They cover such a big range. And, you know, I will say like, not like it's been a detriment to this team, but Jason Gonzalez over the past this season and his one season as a freshman, he he's I wouldn't say he's a bad fielder by any means. He's made a couple errors every every now and then. But that middle infield being so consistent, being so good when healthy, um, it's been extremely impressive. And the hitting is almost like an extra, you know, an added an added consideration that I I didn't expect at the beginning of the year. It's been awesome to watch. How about the catching position, too? That's been an, another position where they have two legitimate options that could come in and hit off anyone, and, and and you don't see catchers producing at the level they've been producing this year.
0: Well, on Gonzalez, look, he's made a lot of errors, but I will say this. The ones that I've seen, which I think has been most of them, most of those were tough plays, and I think that needs to be yeah, considered, and sometimes yeah. a little
1: bit on the first baseman too, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah, first baseman can save you an error or two. I don't know that they're elite at that spot at first. I don't think they're bad, but yeah, now up the middle, and this is I don't I honestly don't know how to think about this because I'd have to really give this some thought. And when players in your past sometimes memories blur and guys run together. But my goodness up the middle, Rodriguez, I think, has been fantastic behind the dish. Um, They've controlled the running game. Bradfield is an elite glove and center. I don't know that he's made a ton of highlight reel plays yet, but you also got to consider the ball is not getting put in play really (laughs) as much because they strike guys out. Um, Young has been phenomenal at short. He's had a few errors. I I think, frankly, I wonder if they're just maybe just brief lapses in concentration because they're not based on ability um and and then you've got colwick who's fielding a thousand at second and they turn yeah. a lot of double plays i mean goodness gracious they're they are i think it's fair to say they're elite defensively up the middle for a college team i totally think that's fair to say um and i
1: think the other thing about bradfield in center is that it's going to take us a while to see a highlight real play because he makes most of them look easy like you said the ball doesn't get hit out there all that much but a play that anyone else is diving for, he's getting there with, with an extra three seconds to spare. So I, I think middle infield and center field is certainly covered. Although I say middle infield is covered, I do think getting Kowalik back down the stretch, it's going to be really important to see, A, how quickly he could get back into the lineup, and B, you know whether he's himself when he comes back. Because it's not easy to come back from an injury in the middle of the season against the toughest part of your schedule and play well. So it's going to be tough to see what whether he could come back uh, off that, but I would say certainly safe to say this is elite defensively up the middle.
0: you know, have you seen the videos on YouTube where they they show you? Know- people in the 20s and 30s that are like watching music for the first time like a Phil Collins clip or something and they're like they're they're like whoa like I feel like when, when you go into an SEC series in another park um like you heard this with the LSU announcer on Friday, it's like them watching Enrique Bradfield for the first time is, is kind of that kind of thing. Like, he makes the play and and left, I think, on Friday night in front of Bolger, and they're like, whoa, that was that was the left fielder's play, and he just got over there so fast. And, I mean, not to yeah. mention the stuff that he does on the base pass. It's kind of like that to me. It's like watching these guys who haven't seen him. It's fun to see them react for the first time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's go – Man, we've gone on a while, and I've got some mailbag questions, but one of the main things I did want to ask you about, the facilities thing last week. Yeah. uh, That was pretty significant. And we can argue what would Turner have done, whatever. Um, And I think it's fair to mention that. But, frankly, to see them throw out a number that big was significant. What was the reaction on campus to that? So the reaction on campus was twofold.
1: One, anyone who understands athletics or is a fan of athletics. So understands athletics would be, you know, mostly just the sports writers at the Hustler. Most people don't understand. But sports fans, there's not a huge number of them, but there's a number of them. Between those two demographics, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. Um, Wow, this is finally happening. I can't wait to see what these teams look like 10 years down the line when we're still following. But there's another group on campus who, to be completely honest with you, I don't – I can't really blame them for misunderstanding because they they just don't understand the dynamics of the university and they're frustrated. But they were unhappy because – now, Vanderbilt and its administration has done some pretty – has made some pretty poor decisions over the years with its handling of students. And one thing that I point to particularly was during this COVID pandemic when not everyone had a stable household to go home to. Not everyone had the ability to go home if they had just recently tested positive. Over winter break, they still made, they made students pay to stay in their own dorms as if that was like extra time. But like you have the dorm the whole year, so is that extra time at all? Anyways, they charged students for staying in their door, and that was, you know, people were infuriated over that. So a group of people saw all of these wrongdoings by the administration and said, are you kidding me? The money you could have been using for all of these things, you're using on athletics. But what they fail to understand is, A, this is not the same money, right? We're not taking out of the same pool here. These are donations, and these are, you know, well, the school matched some of it, this is not at all the money that, you know, would have been paying for those kids dorm stays over break. And B, they also don't understand that this is a, I mean, when was the last time they've donated or they've pledged any significant amount in the field house, I guess, but like, this just never happens in athletics. So I don't think that group fully understands what's going on. Um, I think they think the money was taken from somewhere else, quote unquote, obviously not what happened. I would say, from at least the people that I, you know, associate with, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. But you know, there is that other group.
0: I think this is a good segue into the mailbag, so I'm going to go ahead and go there. The day's yeah. mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood, who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamethanhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdamethanhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, this is where I want to go. Ann door says, from a student's perspective, what, if any, changes have you seen since Daniel Deermeyer became chancellor? And I want to add my own layer of that because I know you've dealt with him a little bit, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we, we text and talk a good bit. Yeah. And I know that we both had nightmare years of dealing with Vanderbilt, to be honest, in our, in our own ways. Uh, my problems may be a little different yeah. than yours, but uh, it has been very difficult. For the student paper, and not just you, but some of your colleagues there. Totally. Uh, but I get the sense in talking to you that that some of that dynamic is changing. That that's a lot in one question or topic, but I'll let you go with that where you will.
1: The dynamic is changing, and I've said this to you, you know, over text, whatever. We, in the past few years at the Hustler, have dealt with not just a lack of help from the university not like they have to help us but giving us time with the people we want to interview giving us comments the things we want comments on it's not just been the lack of help it's been to a certain extent the suppression you know we literally can't and and i think this all culminated in this i'm sure you i may have sent you this the staff editorial we wrote last year venerable please talk to us it had gotten that bad we really had no other way of dealing with it other than that and it could have been that but it was really in my mind the changing of the guard so to speak things have been so different with dear it is it is insane and i say that because when I was a student, I was a student while Zeppos was the chancellor for the greater part of three years, you know, part of that third year was one day. I've never been in the same room as Chancellor Zepos. Um, I think the only time I've been in his greater presence was like freshman orientation on like the f- alumni lawn when like a thousand kids were there and he was speaking to us. That's like as close as I've been. And that's literally, that's like a ceremony. So he had to speak there in front of all of us. Diermeier has been so different. It's been almost shocking. Um, He gives the Hustler exclusive like on record interview time. You know, I think it's once or twice a month at this point. And that comes after Zeppos literally never speaking with us. And not only does he give us his time, but he answers questions about everything. Usually it's the editor-in-chief and the news editor who are on these calls. But in the middle of football season, I think they were 0-3, 0-4, or 0-5 at the time, something like that, I asked our editor-in-chief, can I hop in your next call? Because I wanted to ask about Derek Mason's future. And I hopped on the call. I asked. um, I asked in a sort of, I wouldn't say I beat around the bush, but I said, because of this COVID year, because I really didn't know the answer to this. I said, because of this COVID pandemic year, can you judge a head coach the same way as you would a normal year? And he gave a a great answer. First off, he didn't avoid the question. Secondly, he said what their record is, what the performance is shouldn't be seen as less of or different because of this pandemic year. At that point, I was like, all right, he is fully, Him and Candace have the power to make change if they wanted to. So he's open with us. Um, And at the end of the day, I think he's not just open with us. I think he's also open to new ideas and on, or at least not traditional with the previous administrations on how to get Vanderbilt to that next level university, which it already is. But, you know, the more dorms you build, all these things kind of, at a certain extent i don't think they do much you know you're building new dorms every year you're you're building new cafeterias every year like this investment in athletics has never been one that previous administrations have seen as a chance to put Vanderbilt on that next pedestal and the fact that he does is super important and of course, from a media and 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 exposure perspective it's so important that he actually speaks and is Open with us.
0: Uh, this is going to be harsh, okay? And I'm, I'm saying it more joking than anything, but I've I've kind of referred to Kirkland as the Kremlin at times, and and <laughs> and part of that is just because like and and you went through it right with Wente and Zeppos. you guys just couldn't get them to answer certain questions, yeah, and and you just sure got, now. I mean, I I want to ask you, but you just got short circuited at every turn. I'm like, what are you guys afraid of? Why why is it that you're above? talking to your own students i never got that i'm not sure i understand either and the other
1: crazy part is that we only shape student perception and the student perception like i said in that previous answer where there are people that were like how are you putting money toward it? there's always going to be frustrated students just say something to us that maybe it might change a few opinions well and
0: i think with dear Meyer, i get the sense that he's more of a pragmatist uh, and not so much an idealist. I just thought that, like, so many times, like the the media relations thing this summer, like, do you guys not realize how these things come off to people? And I feel like maybe, gosh, no, no fan base has used the phrase he gets it uh, more undeservingly than the Vanderbilt fan base, but I kind of feel like maybe you finally have a chancellor who gets it.
1: I think so. Uh, and I think also, you know, He's done an excellent job, at least it seems. I think both Candace, I think first off, Candace deserves her own praise, right? Because she's had it ever since she stepped in, she's had a hellish year. Uh, this has been between the pandemic and the coaching change and the Vandy United, everything has been crazy. And, and, and Tommy McClellan, too. I think McClellan stepped in and clearly played a role. And Candace alluded to that in the press conference. But I think between. These administrators for the first time, it's sort of like the perfect storm, it seems, of people that get it, people that are invested in the future. So it will be exciting to see what it culminates in a few years to come.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that the Vandy United thing, I thought the phrasing and the naming that was interesting because, yeah. it, and we've all made, and me more than anybody, made a big deal about the rift between athletics and the rest of the school and the Vanderbilt way and all the the stupid nonsense we've heard over the years. I thought that was kind of a stroke of marketing brilliance by naming it what they did. Um, And frankly, I would look at that and tend to laugh it off and say, well, um, you know, that's just semantics and that's them throwing something out there to try to get to people, repeat it, because if you repeat something long enough and loud enough, people believe what you're saying. Well, in in this case, when the school is throwing in that amount of money and restricting or or lifting the restrictions on donors and who can donate to what and that kind of thing, um, you know, it seems to me that times are changing. And I thought there was an underrated component of the messaging and calling that Vandy United that I think got lost because hey 300 million dollars that's what everybody's talking about and what's it going to look like uh but to me that's one of the the smart things they have done was the way they branded that announcement um and I haven't talked about it on the podcast till now but I thought that was a really good uh smart marketing decision by the school
1: totally and I think it's genius too because you know how do you become a part of this united effort? You donate, you buy season tickets. It's really smart. And they do still have $100 million of that 300 goal that hasn't been identified yet, right? This sort of campaign where you make everything seem united, everyone is part of this greater effort to improve a very important aspect of the university. That's gonna. That's a good marketing effort. That's a good way of making everyone feel like this is an integral part of the university's mission. Um, and I think should help them identify that a hundred million in, in, in due time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just felt like Zeppos just literally ran away from that. And Wente yeah. certainly didn't want any part of it, which I think is probably one reason she's not there anymore, I man, I know she got the wake job, but I don't think Susan Wente was going to have a, a really long Uh, prosperous life at that university if that hadn't happened. But that's another discussion. Um, Dorking asked, do the students care about sports, and if not, how could that change?
1: That's an interesting question.
0: If we're talking about students,
1: as in the people I'm friends with, the people I associate with,
0: they all care, though they... Lose their attention just,
1: just falters when they lose. So my friends, and so I a, so does mine. <laughs> I have a my entire friend group are all huge, huge sports fans. I would say right now, they can name like five football players each, and they haven't been to a football game since freshman year. And I think there are a number of reasons for that, but they just don't care about a losing football team. They could not care less. Um, and to them. Four or five win season, which to fans is much improved after last year, they still wouldn't care. This would have to be a bowl team. This would have to be maybe even, dare I say, a top 25 team for the student body to really care about football. Basketball is the sport they probably would care the most about if they were any good. Because, my friends, there's nothing they love more than March Madness, than tournament time. They love basketball. There just hasn't been much good basketball to watch. And baseball, they all love watching Vanderbilt baseball. Um, And in fact, this year, these same kids who I still believe would care way more about basketball if it was good than they do about baseball right now, these same kids are, you know, they're still going to baseball games all the time because they know it's the better team. Um, So I would say in my friend group, people certainly care. In the general Vanderbilt student body, there's not much care. And that's not to say it can't change, right? Because it certainly can and will change. Well, I won't say can and will. It can change. If and when these teams see sustained success, the students will come. I firmly believe that. I don't think there's any way you could put a top 25 product on the field in any major sport and have the students pretend they aren't seeing it. Of course they will care. But if you're going to have a football team that's going to have six straight losing seasons, they're not going to care. And that I understand.
0: Seven, but who's counting, right? <laughs> you, you have lived or you've been at school under a pretty miserable era. I mean, yeah. you've, had, I mean you've had a national title in baseball and, and the rest of it, other than the fact that the football season uh, when Derek took him to Texas Bowl was pretty entertaining. I think that team underachieved. But, I mean, it has been uh, – You're, you're going to leave campus never having seen good basketball. I mean, I believe
1: I did the – tally a few days ago i don't remember what exactly it was i think it was between men and men's and women's i believe i've seen 23 sec victories in like 140 tries or something like that um also my first ever memory of vanderbilt basketball um so i applied early decisions so i got in in december of my senior year of high school um so in march of my senior year in high school i was get to watch front and center um, with a friend who actually was committed to Northwestern. Um, So he was committed to Northwestern. I was committed to Vandy sitting next to him on the couch. And we watched Matthew Fisher Davis. So that was my first basketball memory. And now we've come full circle. And I wouldn't even say it's full circle. We've just streamlined that same trajectory the whole time.
0: Little did you know that was going to be the pinnacle of existence <laughs> exactly. following the program at the time. I mean, none of us exactly. thought that. I, I remember going down to the McDonald's All-American game and just thinking, wow, this is a new day, uh, which it was, uh, just not the, the way I imagined it. But, um, yeah, you have, I'm trying to think, Cutler Klein was your predecessor.
1: It was Max, then Cutler. No,
0: that's Cutler- right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, like, if one of those guys was, like, their first, thing on the beat covering the temple football game which uh, you probably didn't see but you probably heard about i've heard of it that was
1: either i think that was either cutler or believe it or not that might have been even robbie who's now yeah yeah obviously back on the
0: vandy beat but he was
1: before cutler
0: that was the one that like we were all just sitting there going what is happening here and like the the (laughs) first one um the temple game was so weird. Like it ended at whatever in the morning, and you know sometimes weird stuff happens on on, on opening night, right? And, and I I, I kind of like I think I was so stunned by seeing that. I mean, I thought the talents gonna be better, blah blah blah. And then they had that old Miss game. This is before your time at at the Titan Stadium, and it's like, oh no, yeah. this is this is bad. <laughs> Uh yeah. yeah, I'm sure you've you've had one of those conversations with somebody. Your predecessors by the way, uh did did excellent jobs. Um I have yeah. to commend all those guys. Um Max did get blocked on Twitter by Jerry Stackhouse. He did. <laughs> so so there's that. But um a couple more, I guess just one more. Uh, HMHS says, "Do you have a favorite sports writer? Maybe somebody you pattern your writing style after?" So, I have a
1: lot of favorite sports writers um, when it comes to columns now, I don't know if you're bored if anyone underboard reads you know much of much of the hustler or much of my columns, particularly, probably some of my favorite articles to write, though they're also the toughest ones to write are Commodore brunch columns after a loss that goes poorly. Um, what I really strive for is a making making a an entertaining story out of an otherwise not entertaining game and and b i like to i like to have a mix you know i like to have people read this and think like i want them to be nodding their head as they read the column you know like oh exactly yes yes um between that and you know at some parts in these commodore branches there's a certain like lightheartedness sense of humor packed in. So I think the Commodore brunches particularly, I like to sort of model Jason Gay, though I think he's one of the better columnists in the business and I don't think I'm anywhere near his level. I frequently read his writing and I'm both laughing and I'm nodding my head. Um, I also think Bill Simmons no longer does as much writing as he used to. But back when Bill Simmons was with Grantland, I used to read him all the time. And those columns about topics that I did not care about um, that were like freaking 10,000 words long. I was just like completely mesmerized and couldn't stop reading them. They were so good. I, uh, the one that he wrote after the Sox won the World Series was like amazing.
0: We're doing this where you're in one place and I'm another we where we can see each other. I'm going to hold up a book and I'm presuming you've read this. Yep. Yep. Um, this is a Bill Simmons book. It's the book of basketball. I, I'm not an NBA fan. I just only have so much time in my life. I did follow the NBA growing up, um, and then I felt like just the style of play got to where I, I wasn't entertained by it anymore. But I read that book cover to cover because I'm I'm entertained by Bill Simmons, and 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 and, and he is, and and that's that's the point. Like when you will go and read, what that's a 700 page book on a subject you're not particularly enthralled by just because you like the writer that much, I think that makes a statement, yeah. Definitely.
1: I wish he had, does a little more writing these days. He's mostly podcaster and obviously has his own company. But
0: uh, another guy who I
1: really like is more new, uh, well, I guess new to the national stage-ish, um, but Jeff Passon is really good at ESPN. Yeah, yeah He's he had is. some awesome features.
0: Yeah. The, the only advice I, I'm I would give you, like, I think... And I see it when you write. Your personality comes through. I know you. I can see. You, you've you got to be yourself and be comfortable with that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you do a good job of that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think it's easy to get pushed to a, a cookie cutter in our field. But I think as long as you maintain it, which a sense of humor, knowing you comes with it, too. You've You've got one. And I think that's. That's that's really important when the, the basketball teams go over the season or some of the things that the we've seen.
1: teams do. Yeah? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I'm hoping that changes, right? I think basketball is going to be a, a long build for anybody on both sides. Football, I still think it's going to be a tough fall. I just don't see that they have the horses. But at least for once, there's some light at the end of the tunnel there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it'll take a while, but I certainly think changes on the horizon. And like I said earlier, you know, we gotta give this off season a chance for basketball. But basketball, the portal's still bloated, though a lot of the most talented guys are out of the portal. Um, the portal's still bloated, and a couple transfers can change to really the course of this team. Not saying it's definitely going to happen, but let's just say there's a chance that basketball
0: gets the puts together the pieces to compete next year. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what happens in the coming weeks. Well man, I've kept you way longer than I imagine. Uh, but that's <laughs> what did. happens when you have a good conversation. And I think with podcasts, yeah. I was listening to one the other day and, and somebody was talking about, well, I got the feedback and people think they're too long. And I'm thinking, man, I I listen to every minute of, of this guy's podcast. And like if I think it's right. too long, I'll just hit the pause button and come back to it later, or I'll just turn exactly. it off. I mean, I, I think things go where they go. Um and and thankfully, we had a lot to talk about today. Simon, I have a feeling we'll do this again soon. But tell folks Definitely. where they can find you on your work, where they can follow you on Twitter and all those things.
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Simon Gibbs 26. Um, and uh, you should see most of my work there. We also have a Hustler Sports Twitter account at VU Hustler Sports. Um, and then between those Twitter accounts, you could also just check VanderbiltHustler.com for the latest on our work
0: all right simon thanks a bunch man thank you so much chris all right he's simon gibbs of the hustler i'm chris lee the host of the vandy sports podcast we appreciate you listening we'll come back with another podcast